Welcome to Protecting Your Assets, the show about protecting people, property, and most importantly, protecting your ass. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and I'd like you to join me for a fast-paced and often fiery discussion about security issues with my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Claimer. Whether we're piercing the veil of security, talking your duty of care, or raving about the latest technology, we'll share our thoughts on the issues, the trends that are impacting security today and into the future. So grab a coffee and join us for our latest podcast every second Monday. And don't forget to like and follow us on our sponsor's website, brianclayman.com. And now let's talk about protecting your assets. Welcome to Protecting Your Assets, the show where we talk about protecting your assets, people, uh, places and things. And uh, and with me, of course, is going to be Brian the Angry Man Clayman. He's going to join me, your, your host, Lucky Luciano, to talk about how security really sucks in the modern age. If uh, The previous episode, if you had a listen, or if you please give it a listen, we really talked about how there's a veil of security in, in the business world and how there's this perception or um, security theater, as we call it, uh, to show people or give them the perception that they're safe, when in actuality, they really aren't, because if you poke through that veil, you'll see that guards are often poorly trained, poorly equipped, procedures and policies are often not in place, and if they are, they're just given lip service and things like that. So some serious challenges that keep keep the business um, sort of at a, at a disadvantage to other, to other professions. And so today we're going to talk about why it sucks, um, and before we do that, uh, Brian, did you want to talk about anything that's going on in, in, in the news that uh, is of concern? I know there's a lot of stuff going on. And there's one in particular that I'd like to really briefly touch on. I'll let you go first. And go ahead. Awesome. Uh, I just wish I could have something other than COVID to talk about. But, uh, you know, here we are. We're back to school, and uh, at least in Ontario, most of the country. And um, in Ontario, the numbers just keep going up and up and up. And uh, it's got my attention. We uh, are now over 300 a day, which is really disconcerting because we uh, were at under 100 probably two, two and a half weeks ago, and it's just uh, on an upward trajectory. Heard on the news for the second time probably in a month that there was an outbreak at a uh, gentleman's club, a strip yep. bar. <laughs> nice. And, and uh, you know, you, you ask yourself then, when you've got people that are just trying to stay alive and keep their businesses open so they can feed their families. And there's a global pandemic. Why do we have to have strip bars open when, A, they haven't been managing this really well, and, B, even if they're trying, the nature of a lap dance means Mm -hmm. that it's hard to do that effectively with social distancing in mind. (laughs) I would agree. (laughs) A little bit concerning. Uh, Kids are in school now, and... uh, you know, I the numbers got to be staying flat. They can't be yeah. going up. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's unfortunate that we're seeing that, but uh, we did expect it. And I hope, as for some of our previous uh, episodes, people are better prepared second time around. We we talked about uh, some of the basics that they should be doing, and really, there's no excuse not to be prepared going in the, into the fall and, and the potential phase two or uh, second version of, of COVID. Um, the one thing I wanted to touch on really briefly and get your thoughts on was the uh, basically the assassination attempt on those two officers in uh, in the U.S. where the person just walked up to the side of the car and, and shot the two officers. And, you know, that, that's concerning in itself. But the really disturbing part for me was listening to the news this morning and how demonstrators actually blocked the hospital. 
trying to prevent the ambulance from bringing the officers to 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 the hospital to receive first their, their treatment. Like it's it's crazy what what we've what we've come to at least in the states anyway. Yeah, I mean, you know, I forgotten about that when what's in the news i was consumed by it throughout the weekend and i guess i just put it out of my mind because it was really uh, just too hard to digest given my family background my background you our friends our colleagues in the law enforcement community one of the things that really got me angry watching the canadian news yesterday is uh when they talked about that it literally got about 22 seconds of airplay And if you have someone that gets looked at the wrong way by a police officer and he feels that he's been disrespected, that's a two-hour news special. I mean, there's something fundamentally wrong when the people that are out there to protect and to serve, okay, and albeit there are some bad cops and there are some cops that do stupid things, more so in the U.S. than in Canada, but when you see the video of what happened to those officers, which unfortunately happened a few years earlier in Texas with the Dallas officers when there were, I think, an active attacker situation, six or seven of them were killed, it's just beyond belief. And I read something that really got me angry. I don't know how true it is. In uh, the Dallas situation, the police association, after that shooting, went to the NFL and said, can you sort of make a moment of silence for the officers that gave their lives. And the NFL had no problem to say no. Yet, however, with the movement that's currently underway, the world has changed. You know, it's just amazing. And I am not saying that the movement that's underway doesn't merit attention. It does. But when did the police become stormtroopers? Again, I look at my wife, my nephew. I look at you. I look at colleagues, that people I work with. They're not going to work saying, Whose life are we going to mess up? You know, let's go kill someone on their way home from school. It's just ridiculous, the situation. Yeah, it's not surprising to see it's uh, politically um, palpable, I guess, to be doing that at this point in the face of all the other pressures that are out there. What's really um, surprising, or what I, who I really feel for, you know, I, I believe both of the officers were, were visible minorities in that shooting. So it just goes to show that it's not just white officers that are being targeted here. They're targeting, uh, you know, minorities who carry the badge, and so it really doesn't matter who you are. Once you put on that tin, you become the enemy by default. Whether you know, it's regardless of regardless of who you are, what you believe in, and what your skin color is. Well, and, and what it does is it, it really is a disservice to those that are protesting legitimately for social justice yep. and change. And, you know, I think all of us would agree that we want to live in a good world. You know, I know everyone in the law enforcement community, they do not like bad cops and when things don't go go right. There is no justification whatsoever for this type of thing. And as you started off saying that they then went to the emergency emergency department and blocked ambulances from coming in and were hoping that the officers would die. Well, aside from the fact that you hate the police, okay, that's one thing, but blocking ambulances for non-police victims for coming to the hospital, like, what what are these people trying to do? And I think it's incumbent on the movement and the vast majority of uh, uh, protesters that are protesting for the right reason to denounce themselves totally, because I would like to think that these guys don't represent Black Lives Matter, if that's sort of the group that is is... Uh, spearheading the uh, societal change 
uh, you have to dissociate yourself because if you don't, then you're part of it. And again, shame on the Canadian media. Take a look. You know, I wish there was some university student doing their graduate studies and they would look at the average time given to a police-involved shooting of a minority person versus when the police are the victim. I saw something on social media uh, on the weekend also, and I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but 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 it said that in the last two weeks in New York, there have been 127 shootings, not one of them uh, shot by uh, police. Okay, Maybe we have to look at what the real cause is. Look at what's happening in Toronto and Montreal. Shootings are out of control, and it's not policemen that are doing the shooting. It is not sexy. It is sexy, and it's an easy target, you know, because police, for a lot of reasons, really can't stand up and protect themselves. By law, they can't comment on an open investigation. Certainly in Canada, they can't release 911 tapes and video, even if they have it. It's just a very unfortunate situation, and it will result in unintended consequences, which is already starting to happen. Yeah, and I'm just going to end that off with, with uh, an interesting uh, discussion I heard on uh, radio, Talk Radio 1010 last week, and they got a new host, and of course I can't remember his name, so I apologize for that. The night but guy? The night guy, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he talked about how Canadian uh, Canadian listeners basically should be cautious about what, what they're absorbing from the U.S. And, and the tendency for our media to acquaint Canada with, with the U.S. We just simply aren't the same. We aren't in the same circumstances. We don't believe the same thing. And, and as he said, a lot of the things that American uh, that American movement is demanding in the U.S., we already have here. Yeah. We have an SIU that investigates officer shootings. We have those things in place. So really, a lot of people in Canada who are supporting that movement, I would say, probably need to do a little more digging. If they're not ignorant, then they should be checking beyond the headlines to see what exactly the movement is trying to do in Canada because it's not the same thing. It shouldn't be the same thing because we're not the same people. But, you know, I think it's typical of, of the way we analyze and think today. We're in a 13-second news cycle, yep. and you've got a headline, and then that's going to drive what people think. It's unfortunate, but people just don't think. They don't take the time to read. They don't have the ability to analyze. But forget about the police thing for a sec- for a second. Just look at what's happening south of the border politically, how polarized the two sides are. Somewhat in Canada also we're getting quite polarized. People don't, you know, peel back the onion and really look at what the core message or what's really happening. I think part of the issue is is the uh, 24-7 news cycle, the citizen journalist. Uh, uh, they, uh, years ago, you know, there were journalists that didn't give you their opinion they read you the facts, and you would form your own opinion. They don't exist anymore. You know, guys like Tucker Carlson, guys mm-hmm. like Anderson Cooper, got you know, on both sides of the spectrum. Yeah. Uh, Hannity, Don Lemon, uh, Don Lemon. They're yeah. not news journalists. They're they're commentators, and that's okay. You know, it's good. You and I, I guess, on this podcast, are commentators. But you've got to take what we say with a grain of salt, peel it back, and come to your own conclusion. I think we in the West, in the U.S. certainly, and I think Canada, we don't think anymore. We just follow our team, whatever yep. they do, and that's rather dangerous. Readily digest what's given to us. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> okay, so security then obviously sucks. <laughs> that's a good sort of segue, direct segue into what we want to talk about today. We, we've, we've had many discussions about stupid things we've seen and idiotic policies and going back to that veil of security, the sense that 
you're you're doing the right thing when you know in actuality that they're not or they can't. Um, and I know you've got some strong feelings on this, so let's get into it. Let's open up with a statement from you, Brian. What, what, why would you say security sucks? You know, when we talk about what we would call the segment, yeah, I really like security sucks because it's rather controversial. Uh, it, uh, and in my opinion, and perhaps in yours, but in the many, many years I've been in this business, it really is, a, for the most part, it's a joke. I, I, I mean, you look at Hollywood's depiction of security guards, Paul Blart, the mall cop, okay, and, and, and uh, Renikoff, and wannabe. That's a reputation probably deservedly earned. It sucks because it's a profession that doesn't have a purpose. At least it's not a known purpose. You've got consumers of security products, which are the people that have security programs and departments or hire security guards, and they don't know why they're doing it. They're just checking off a box because the insurance underwriter said you need security. Or if you're in a certain industry, let's say retail, or if you're in property management, you need to have security guards or loss prevention officers. So you check the box off. You've got security service providers that, for the most part, there are exceptions, are not professionals. They're just selling you bodies. They get compensated not by solving your problem, your security challenge, but by billable hours. And if the bill rate is $25 an hour, I'm going to get $25 an hour whether I give you a competent, trained, skilled practitioner or a guy that got fired from Tim Hortons because he doesn't know how to make the chocolate donuts properly. It doesn't matter. The The industry sucks because it's just an illusion. And it goes to our podcast last year. It's a veil. It's an illusion of security. I'll say um, one more thing. Security is a points-in-time purchase. We We have security for the time we're going to need it when there's going to be something that's going to threaten the asset. And all the other times that doesn't happen, security's just standing around. They may be doing things like giving out umbrellas in a commercial building or doing wayfinding or helping with a lost child. But when you need it, when the bomb threat happens, when the active attacker happens, when the assault happens, is it ready to rock and roll? My experience is, in most, in many cases, no. That's why security sucks. It's an illusion. Yeah, uh, Brian, as usual, we, we, we're probably going to agree on, on the sort of the general gist of your, your arguments there, but I'm going to push back again, as usual, in an area that I take exception to, and that's where a lot of times the guards get stuck in the middle of that, that equation. They take on the job with the intent to do and deliver security, and then when they get into that role, they're told they can't do that, or they prefer to do something else. So is it really the industry guards that suck? Or is it the nature of the of the client's expectations that suck? That they don't understand what they want, or they you do don't, understand it, but they, they don't want what they should be putting in place. You know, I think you missed your calling. I think deep in heart, you're a union leader. <laughs> you want to help the little guy. Unlike <laughs> some, you don't want to line your pockets. I think you're sincere. And you know what? I would agree with you. It is never the fault of the working man. Okay. If you look at the guard, he's just a, man, a man, young man or woman or an older man or woman that's out doing his job and trying to do it the best they can. And they can only do as well as we allow them to do or we train them to do or we've matched them to what it is we need them to do. So, you know, Luke, I would agree 100%. I'm not saying it's the guard. What sucks is, and when I say sucks, you know, it's not a reference to any individual person. It's not disparaging to 
owners of businesses or corporations or to guard companies or to the guard. It's the process. If you don't know why something exists, then how do you, you know, what is the benchmark that you try to achieve? And that's perfect because now my slow brain finally figured out what I wanted to say. So here's the two points I wanted to specifically bring up. First of all, I think there's two good, I think there's two main issues with why the security sucks. Uh, first of all, we as an industry still have a difficult time for showing a return on investment. And the problem with our business is when there is good security in place that's doing a good job, nothing happens. And how do we measure that? How do we show the client that because of that security, you're avoiding this liability or this threat or this attack? That's a difficult challenge. I think that's part of the reason why it's difficult for us to justify, uh, you know, having good security in place. And the other piece is, I think, works that works against us is the fact that in most cases we typically work for buildings on property owners, and they measure everything on square footage, and that also works against security because for us it's not about square footage; it's the throughput and the what type of square footage we're talking about. I can have you know, an airliner, I could care less what happens to the airplane, but if I put something of significant value on that plane, all of a sudden that same airplane, you know, the value spikes considerably, so that tends to that tends to lead to greater security risk, which means more funding for security, more appreciation for security, only because the square footage has suddenly changed. It's no longer just about a vacant space. There's somebody in that space and that somebody happens to be the king of Saudi Arabia or something like that. Yeah, you know what? I think you're entirely right. I, I think you got it in a nutshell. It's the return on investment problem that if you do it right, A, you're not going to have any issues. Or one is several things going to happen. But the first one is that you won't have issues because you proactively manage the threat, which yeah. is a great thing. Or the other reality is, you know, again, I, I, I've given this example before. My father smoked two packs of cigarettes his whole life. And he lived to his late 80s. And he didn't have lung cancer or any issue. He was lucky. So that's the other reason things yeah. happen. But you just got me thinking, I think what we need to do better, because security does suck, because we're not able to tie it to an end. And I think we have to reverse engineer this. I think rather than looking at proactively what it is that we have to do, I think we've got to say, let's look at situations where companies had real security challenges, okay? the bomb threat that comes in every week and the building gets evacuated to the point where no one pays attention anymore to the bomb threat. Look at 9-11, where the intelligence community, there was no uh, cooperation, there was no fusion centers, and they missed all the signals. After 9-11, they reversed engineered it, they saw the problems, and they retweaked the way they did national security. Same thing with security. The reason it sucks, you know, you, you really got me thinking here. I keep thinking of all the failures I've experienced over the years or become aware of over the years. And I saw when I did the after action of what happened, there was an epic failure. We either had untrained guards or we didn't have enough guards or we didn't have the equipment they needed or a fire control system wasn't being maintained and it failed when we needed it to work type thing. So really what I've done is I see security sucks because when I reverse engineer the failures, I see that the failure was preventable. Maybe that's what we have to do better as security managers and leaders. We have to go to the people we represent and say, this is why we need good security, because if the active attacker happens in our building, if there's a fire in our building, albeit the likelihood may not be that high, 
But if it happens, the consequences are impactful, and it could really hurt us. And maybe that's the discussion we have to have, but we're not. Oh, it's good to see that I'm finally getting through to you. <laughs> no, you're, you're just wearing me down. <laughs> well, I, I, you can't be wrong all the time. Okay? <laughs> well, I, I'm just going to add on to that argument. Uh, the missing piece, I think, that we were talking about earlier uh, before we started the podcast, you said that you know, we have to, to re-engineer it from, from, the, from the back end, which, which, which I guess makes sense. But you also need the person who has the competency and skills to to, assess, to do that re-engineering. And, you know, you were talking about getting a plumber to fly your plane, for example. You would never do that. And yet, in security, we allow anybody, basically, to step into a role. You know, there's been a number of times where I've seen job descriptions for senior roles in, in corporations with significant footprints, well-known brands, and you read the job description, and there's very little there about security. It's all about budgeting or you know, finances, and, and I understand that that's important, but what does that person bring to the table to be able to tell you that the security program actually works and it's going to fulfill its mission? I think that's a big part of the problem because I think the fact is that they're looking for a security manager or VP or director or whatever the title might be indicates to me that most, well, uh, you know, most organizations realize it's something they need, but they don't know why. And then when you look at the competencies and the job descriptions, it doesn't align at all. I mean, there's a lot of confusion between security and safety, security and risk management, fire life safety and security. These are all different disciplines, you know. You can have a guy that is an incredible risk manager that has an actuarial background that can look at the probability of risk. That's all part of that security umbrella. And as a security leader... I need someone like that or access to someone like that on my team to sort of to look at the foreseeability of a risk occurring so that we can quantify the effect. That's important. But it's just one of the many pieces that the security leader who's got to be a generalist needs. And I think the problem is a lot of companies don't understand that. I know of a company that had a senior position and they had a very hands-on security guy with a lot of experience and was replaced by someone with an accounting background that was great with numbers, great with risk and probability, and really talented person, but didn't have the first clue what to do when there's a demonstration if someone wants to break into your building, or what to do if someone is having a heart attack. We sometimes mistake risk with physical security needs, because it's true that if you're in an earthquake zone or a flood zone, that can put you out of business, but so can being hostage to a demonstration that, well, I'll give you an example. We started about the police shootings in Los Angeles and those idiots that blocked the emergency room, okay? I would hope that the security director and the police supervisor that was on that scene knew more than just about risk and the actuarial pieces of risk, but knew what he had to do to clear that scene so that hospital emergency room was now accessible. That's the problem. And it comes back to, like I say, Absence an understanding of why we have security and what it is we need to do. If you know what your mission is, then you can backward engineer the job description. Most people that I've come across, either as their employee working for them or as a consultant, they all want security, they all want investigations, but they don't know why. And when I sit down and I have the opportunity to say, well, what is it you want them or need them to do, then it becomes a lot clearer. I think that's part of the problem, and that's why security sucks. It's just well, the illusion. It is an illusion, and that the point you made at the end there is is interesting to me because I just met with uh, I just <laughs> met with a former officer 
uh, we just started a new role here in Toronto, and as as I'm sure you've heard many times from from other security practitioners, he got the job based on his expertise and his extensive history with uh, emergency planning and response. The company knew what it wanted; they wanted an emergency response planner. Uh, but sure enough, now that he gets into the role and starts looking at the program and starts to find the holes and recommend improvements, all of a sudden that appetite starts to change. So part of the challenge and why security sucks is because we don't have a good foothold to the upper levels of, of the company. And I still believe, I've said this before in previous podcasts, I think the board is where we need to, to sit because the board is risk averse. Anybody below the board is there to make profits. And that sort of seems to be my perception or my experience. And that's a problem because once profits becomes the overriding driver, then security just becomes an expense. Whereas the board being risk averse is more attuned to the, to the implications of somebody dying on the property, insurance rates going through the roof, and being held liable for certain things. So to me, you know, that, that person, that officer, that, that, that former officer, that is just an indicator, another indicator of what the problem is with, with, with uh, the security industry and why it sucks. We don't have the traction at upper levels to be able to deliver our messages to who needs to hear it. Sure, our boss can hear it. I reported into pretty senior guys before. Deaf ears, man. They, it only goes up to them, and that's where it stops because they don't want to. They don't want to tell anybody else what, what's bad, what's going on, what's, what, what are the opportunities. Yeah, you can You know, you and I <laughs> have never really agreed on this point because you're right. I mean, security is one of those things that most people don't really understand. And I, I got to tell you, I've never seen an industry like the security industry where everyone is an expert in what I do. Mm-hmm. Yet I don't profound to be an expert or profess to be an expert in accounting and finance and leasing and property management. But everyone knows about security, just like everyone seems to be able to critique the police and look at something on a 10-second Facebook clip and see everything that went wrong. And anyone that knows a little bit about security response or police response just shake their heads and say, this person just missed it. They don't know what they're talking about. But where I disagree with you is about the board. I mean, yeah. It's it's nice to report in at higher levels, but you know most disciplines don't. The marketing guy doesn't report to the board. In property management, the operations people and the 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 HVAC mechanics and the air conditioning technic uh, technicians don't report to the board. The elevator guys don't report to the board. But we spend millions and tens of millions in elevators. They don't seem to have the problem because the elevator guy knows what his job is. And when I call the elevator guy as the building owner to put in an elevator system, and I'm going to pay $5 million, I know what I want. I want an elevator system that will take people efficiently from ground to the penthouse in 13 seconds. Security sucks because the managers don't know what they want. The consumers don't know why they're getting security. And the service providers are just trying to sell billable hours. And even those that you know think they know, many of them don't really have a solid background of protection. That's a, that's why it sucks. Well, I I'm gonna say that those examples you use are are a little bit skewed towards the operational side because they bring back visible. It goes back to the ROI discussion. They bring back tangible, visible results to the business. So operations guys, they keep the building running. Plumbers, they keep the the, the pipes from backing up. Elevator guys keep the elevators. These are all things that directly impact the clients and the tenants. Security people, you know, how many tenants know what the hell a security guard does? Usually they walk by them in the morning, say good morning, and then ask them, 
What do you think that guy does? They have no freaking team clue. The client doesn't even know. You know what? That's a great example uh, that you just made. Because if the elevators weren't working properly, people would know. Well, it, you know, it's interesting. I, maybe we've got to end this podcast right now because we're <laughs> going to be unemployed. But if security sucks, and it sucks because we're not doing anything, okay, and the fact we're not doing anything doesn't make a difference, then why do we have security? You know, I would say that if you, uh, just like the elevator not working or the HVAC system not heating or air conditioning the, the building and the tenant would know it, I would tell you the tenant will know it also if they're getting uh, beaten up down in the parking garage or if their purse is getting stolen in the food court. So, so, you know, what often happens is we have security without a mission. Not every building has that type of threat or crime that it deals with, but we fail to properly articulate what the concern is. I'm working a case right now for a client that had uh, uh, some very serious threats against an anchor tenant. And the security program doesn't have the capability to deal with those threats. And if you would have talked with this client six months ago, they would have said, nah, I don't worry about that. Until the day it became an issue right. and now money yep. is no object and they're worrying yep. a lot about that. And it sucks because we're not able to connect the dots. As leaders, we can't get that message across properly. As consumers that are signing contracts with security providers, we don't know what it is we want these guys to do. And as security providers, oh, we think you need 30 hours of labor. No one is talking about, listen, these are the threats you got to think about. Are you worried about it? If you're not worried about it, that's risk management. You're accepting that. You understand the outcome. You're not worried. Then you don't need security. But we don't have those discussions up front. I've sat in with elevator sales guys when they're selling a new elevator system. And I tell you, those are really expensive. And they tell you the value it's going to bring. But they also tell you that you may not see the benefit right away. But over time, this is what you're going to see. And this is how we're going to make your life better. We don't do that in security. We just are there. And then we say, woe is me. No one will talk to me. No one takes me seriously. I think it's on us. We have to. And if an organization doesn't want to take it seriously, then we were talking about this before the podcast. Let them suffer the fate of Darwinism. Let them have the issue and put them out of business. Well, I'm going to agree with you on that because, you know, elevator guys are professionals at selling stuff we don't need. That's in my opinion. <laughs> they created a market out of a, out of a program, and I don't need to mention it, but you know which one I'm talking about. Yes, I mean, the thing sucked. It, pre- it prevented security from being able to manage floor access uh, in the early days. They, they, they eventually worked it all out uh, from what I hear. I'm not 100% sure on that, but they introduced a system at the end of the day that saves customers, and this goes back to my point, you know, because it's client-focused, it's going to save a customer a whole three seconds on their ride up the elevator. Well, that's worth a couple hundred thousand dollars. Meanwhile, security, which to your point, we do such a terrible job of showing what yeah. we do. Uh, you know, how many homeless people did security kick out of the, the building that morning? How many needles did they have cleaned up before the client got to the to the office piece? They don't know, and and we do a terrible job of letting them know, and the client, our, our building owners don't want them to know. Right, yeah. that's all stuff they want to keep in the, in, into the closet, and so it's not. It's. I agree that we do a terrible job of selling it, but it's also not entirely security's fault because our clients don't want their tenants to know. Oh my God, we got five homeless guys that we had to kick out this morning. We cleaned, uh, you know, we cleaned, we cleaned the crapper out of the public washroom four times last night, but this morning sparkling clean. That's security's taking care of that, but nobody gives them credit for it. Oh, you're right, but that, but but. 
and, and, and the companies don't want the tenant or the right. customer. Exactly. So I, I understand. But strike, strike, strike. Let's go on strike. If we don't know it, they will know. And that's the proactive piece of what we do. So I agree. I mean, I would never go to a tenant and say, oh, my God, I wouldn't be in this building. It's dangerous. You're going to get mugged in the parking garage. You're going to get murdered in the alley outside the building. I would never do But I would have that discussion with the leasing manager to say, right. if you want to lease this building, this is what we have to do to make it leasable. And, you know, it's like anything else. If we do our job right, then no one will know we exist. Just like if you go to the gym a couple times a week, if you eat healthy, if you don't smoke cigarettes, if you don't drink too much, you will live a longer life than if you abuse yourself. You, and at the end of your life, you'll say, holy shit, I could have drank and smoked because I'm 95 years old. Yeah, but you mean you've only got to 65. We have to be able to articulate that if we do it right, you won't see it. But if we don't do it right, you will know it. By the time you know it, it might be too late. That's what we have to do better. And we have to hold both parties, both the service provider and the, the consumers of goods, accountable. We've got to say, I told you so, but not in the way I got you, but a way, hey, we bit the bullet on this one, or we got stung on this one. Hey, yeah. service provider, or hey, board member, or C uh, suite guy, this can't happen again. Let's fix it. Let's fix it. How do we go about changing it? We don't want to end on a, on a negative, obviously, uh, and certainly not on our podcast. We're here to help business owners uh, find answers, not not just give them opportunities and then walk away. So I got a couple of points I, I wrote down. First of all, you know, how do we you know, do? We have to increase the value it brings. How do we do that? Uh, you talked about the ROI, the difficulty of showing that when things go well. How do we know that it's going well? How do we prove that? Do we need to maybe change? The role of security doesn't have to be redefined. You know, we talk about how a lot of security um, positions include concierge service, ambassadors. I can't stand those, those terms, but yeah. they are the reality of the business. And maybe we redefine some of the terminology to help the business develop more value. Or is it just, uh, you know, all about the money? Is budget the issue? And, and the last piece that I would throw in there is, is the one about mission. Is that all it takes? Getting that clear, a clear vision, maybe is that is that going to be enough to to turn the tide on the security and and get them to to be more appreciated and uh, and not suck. Well, you know, I, I think it really comes down to three things, three words: yeah, mission, KPI, and consequence. I can't tell you how many times, both when I worked for a big organization or when I as a consultant when I would be asked to do a program review, and one of the first things I look at, especially if the program is heavily dependent on contract providers, guards, alarm companies, uh, uh, fire safety systems, access control systems, and I look at the contract, and I can't tell you how many times there's nothing in the contract. So with the manpower contract says, you will send me guards, you will charge me $25 an hour, the guard will be licensed. That's the extent of it. If that's the extent of the contract, okay, how do you measure whether or not they're delivering? And how does that tie to the mission? So the way we fix this, and it's really easy to fix, I really believe it is, it's three things. What is the mission? What is the purpose of the program? If you can't articulate the reason why the security program exists in three sentences or less that would get the attention of a senior leader in the organization, you probably shouldn't have a security program or don't need it. So you've got to articulate through a mission statement why security exists. Then what you have to do is you need key performance indicators. We know why it exists. 
what are the indicators that we're going to look at on a monthly or quarterly basis that tells us we're tracking? My KPI when I go on vacation is my wife. If I get lost, she'll say, ask someone where to go because you're lost. And she humiliates me to get me back on track. But ultimately, I get back on track because I missed the KPI. I missed the turnoff. Because if I don't have a KPI, my trip to Florida, I might end up in Yellowknife. You need a KPI to keep you with direction. And the second thing is, the third thing is consequence. If I tell my wife, stop talking, lady, I know what I'm doing, she will kill me. That's a consequence I don't want to have to face, okay? Well, the same thing with your security program, especially with contract management. The mission tells us why we have security and where we're going. The KPI tells the provider, as well as the consumer, these are the things we've agreed that we need to accomplish in order to get there. And the consequence is that if you're not meeting the agreed upon KPIs, there's got to be a penalty. There's yeah. got to be a financial penalty. There's got to be termination of contract. This security sucks syndrome is easy to fix if we manage the program and manage the contract. But until we do that, it will never be fixed. And, you know, as simple as it is to fix, I've been doing this for 40 plus mm -hmm. years now, and it's still unfixed. Now, having said that, when I was bad-mouthing the industry, I said, for the most part, there are exceptions. I have seen, without exception, those that have exceptional programs yeah. are the ones that know why they have security. They have a defined mission. They have key performance indicators to tell them on course. And there's consequences. If you don't do it, there'll be a financial or you'll get fired. And yeah. I must admit, there's been a few times in my career I've been fired because I didn't hit the KPI. But that only happened once or twice. That's how we fix it. It's not mm -hmm. hard. That's how we fix it. Yeah. And, and just to bring it back to what we were talking about at the start of the podcast, who develops those KPIs for you? That's an industry professional, not some guy who just walked off the, the plane yeah. with a, a degree in, in electricity or something like that. So you get a security professional to, to identify the ROI you're going to get, develop those KPIs so you can tell if you're hitting those marks or not, and then you understand the value that the program brings to your, to your building. You know, it ties together nicely sort of where we started with, where the gaps are, why it sucks, how we improve it at the end of the day. I think that's pretty much it on this topic, unless you've got something else you want to talk about, Brian, something else you want to reach out on. No, I no, I, I don't think so. I, I think it was sort of maybe succinct and uh, to the point compared to uh, some of the other podcasts you've done, which uh, went on a bit longer. I, I really think it's quite simple. It's like you can't drive a car blindfolded, and that's typically what we do with most of our programs. We're just blindfolded. We don't know where we're going. I don't think we're actually going to be shorter than the previous ones. I think we just did more yelling, and that makes it look like it's shorter. <laughs> but, well, uh, <laughs> I, I, I call it spirited debate. It's part of, you know, it's back to school, and a lot of people are doing virtual schooling. Well, I'm virtually schooling you. Oh, it's part God. of the education of uh, Lucky Loose. Oh, You're lucky that the screen keeps us apart, so I don't <laughs> have to reach out and do anything. Reach out. Uh, reach out. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but no, that's, I think that was a good discussion. I think, you know, we, there's some good takeaways for, for our listeners uh, who want to make their security program better. Get yourself a, a proper security professional, uh, someone who's got the experience and the credentials to speak to it, who's familiar with the challenges so that he can build or she can build a program that actually can show you the value that it brings to the, to, to the business. And, and it no longer, it stops becoming an expense and really becomes a value-added service for your company and probably even a a business is the differentiator 
uh, against your competitors because your, your, your customers will know that they're in a safe and secure building that you'll be able to show them that it is safe and secure. Uh, so with that, I'm, I'm going to uh, turn it over to Brian for any last comments and then uh, we'll sign off. Only to say that we're living in very interesting times. We've got a U.S. presidential election ahead of us. We've got the fall back-to-school period here in Canada. A lot of stuff in the news, a lot of stuff to watch, and a lot of moving pieces from the risk management security point of view. So I think security has never been more important. We just have to be able to adapt because things are changing very quickly. And on that, we can definitely agree. <laughs> I want to thank our thank our listeners. And just a heads up, uh, Brian Marie reinvigorated our uh, our landing page for the podcast so there's uh, certainly areas now you can read your comments clearly to us yeah. so we're happy to take them just be nice about it at least don't criticize him as much as, uh, <laughs> as me <laughs> and uh, we're happy to take those comments and, and try and, and improve things going forward so with that i'm going to sign off uh, until next time bye 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 everyone and if there is a comment i mean luciano is spelled l-u-c-i-a-n-o uh, uh, deal with your comments in a nice gentle way when we talk to Luke. Bye bye. Bye everyone. That concludes this podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us in a couple of weeks for our latest episode. Please remember to like and follow us on our sponsor's webpage, brianclayman.com, where you can leave us your comments and suggest topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening and don't forget to protect your assets.